This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. I'm going to take you through my entire journey from the start. Join Yogi Kevin Naidu as he shares his insights and experiences and explores mindfulness, physical and mental health. There's something happening here. There's almost a realignment of me with my physical, emotional and spiritual body. So love yourself. Be proud of yourself. Be gentle with yourself. A yogi's guide to health and wellness. New episodes every month. Download this AMI podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. I remember when I first lost my eyesight. The initial 72 hours or so felt like one never-ending day. The minutes blurred into hours and time no longer had a logical sequence. Because for me, no matter how long I waited, the sun never did come up. The ophthalmologist that I had seen had told me that the reason why I could suddenly no longer see anything at all was because I had experienced what's called a global rupture, and I now had a large tear in the top of my eye. He said the best way for me to try and understand it was, was to think of a face of a clock. He said that my eye was now open from 10 o'clock all the way over until 2 o'clock. He also told me that I was in urgent need of surgery to repair my eye. When I heard that, I felt a little zing of excitement. Before I could get too far ahead of myself, he continued by saying, I'm sorry, Becky, but this surgery will not bring your eyesight back. The goal of this surgery is to simply close the opening in your eye and to help prevent any type of infection from setting in. It would also give them an opportunity to have a better understanding of the condition of both my retina and my optic nerve. Within an hour of being admitted onto the ward, I was being prepped for surgery. I was told that another ophthalmologist would be assisting and that she would like to have the opportunity to assess my eye before the surgery got started. I was also told that a porter would be arriving shortly at my room to take me down to the eye center for this assessment. My family then stepped in and said that there was no need to send a porter, that we were all very familiar with where the eye center was located and how to get there, and that they would take me to this appointment instead. I rode in a wheelchair down to that appointment, and I remember feeling the cool breeze run over my face as we navigated our way throughout the hospital halls. When we arrived at the eye center, I was met by the female ophthalmologist. I was vaguely familiar with her because she had examined my eye a couple of times in the past when Dr. Garcia had been away. I was taken into the examining room and my husband joined me while my parents remained in the waiting room with our son. She slowly examined my eye and kindly shared what information with me that she could. Before leaving that examining room that day, I remember taking a couple of deep breaths and then I said to her, do you mind if I ask you one more question please? Without hesitation, she said, yes, of course. I said to her, are you a mom? Her voice softened, and she said, yes. A moment later, she said to me, was that your little boy sitting with you in the waiting room? I nodded my head, yes, and I softly said back to her, you're a mom. You get it. I have so much riding on this. I can't imagine never seeing my son again. Please, from one mom to another, 
Can you please help me see him again? We both held back tears and she said, Yes, Becky, I will do everything I can to help you out. I really didn't know her all that well, but up until that moment, I was looking for somebody to understand. And I finally felt like I had made a connection. I was no longer going to be operated on by two total random strangers. I now needed to back up, give up some control, and trust. Before leaving the eye center that day, I remember being assisted back into the wheelchair. Did I actually need to ride in a wheelchair that day? No. But we all recognized at that point that it was the more practical and easy solution. While I was sitting there, I remember overhearing a conversation that my son was having with my parents. He was pleading with them, saying, Please, can I ride in the cool, fast wheelchair with mom? Coincidentally, I remember overhearing the exact same conversation on the way down to the eye center. But instead, my dad had bent down and kindly scooped him up and carried him. This time, I decided to interrupt their conversation. And I said, hey bud, come on over, come jump on and go for a ride with mom. Bennett came over and he was so excited. I remember tightly throwing my arms around our giggling son. And at that point, it was what I really needed. I held on to Bennett as tightly as I possibly could, but the reality was I was trying to hold on to him in more ways than one. A short while later, I was laying in the operating room being prepped for surgery. I could hear the tools being assembled around me, the beeping of my heart monitor, and the voices of the surgical staff filled the air. Both of the ophthalmologists had arrived my IV was in, and I was being prepped for sedation. But I was told that the ophthalmologist would like to each examine my eye just one more time. So, with a little bit of assistance, I sat up on the OR table. They swung an ophthalmoscope around in front of me, and they each examined my eye quietly, with not a lot of words to share. After, they stepped out of the room to have a private conversation. I was helped to lay back down, and I tried my very best to try to remain calm. But that was a total impossibility. A little while later, both of the ophthalmologists arrived at the foot of my bed. The female ophthalmologist spoke up and said, Becky, I am so sorry. There's just so much blood still flowing into your eye, it's really hard to see anything at all. We feel operating right now, potentially, we may do more harm than good. So, if it's alright with you, we would like to defer your surgery for a more appropriate time. She continued saying, We all recognize that you really need this surgery. However, if it's alright with you, we would appreciate that this could be the decision that is made. I remember laying there, hearing her words, and part of me felt a little bit relieved. However, I also felt an overwhelming sense of fear. I remember replying back and telling them that I respected their decision and that I also really truly respected their ability to step back. At that moment, I remember feeling like they really did have my best interest in mind. 
A few minutes later, I was being wheeled back to my hospital room. My family was all still sitting there when I arrived. They were a bit shocked by my early return. I had to unfortunately explain to them what had happened and the decision that was made to postpone my surgery for at least today. As the day drew on and night came closer, Brad and I had decided that we were going to send Bennett home with my parents. They were in from out of town so they could all stay together at our house. Brad, however, had decided on his own that he was going to stay at the hospital with me. I tried to convince him that I would be all right for the night and that he should go home and try to get some sort of sleep. I don't know why I even tried. My husband's mind was 100% made up. He was staying with me. For those of you who don't know my husband, he's very stubborn. He's also very funny, smart, and kind. After everybody had left, Brad had walked down to the hospital's coffee shop and bought me a sandwich. We finally realized at that time that I hadn't eaten anything at all that day. Up until that point, I really wasn't allowed to in preparation for the surgery. I wasn't hungry, and I didn't feel like eating, but... We knew the next day was probably going to be equally as exhausting. We were both completely exhausted, physically, mentally, and emotionally. So our plan was simple. It was to try and get some sleep. Brad claimed that he was going to sleep in the chair. And yeah, that is where he started out. But for those of you who don't know me very well, I'm also very stubborn. So, he laid right beside me. He held my hand, and we laid there quietly, both trying to sleep, or, more so, I guess, pretending to. At one point, I whispered to Brad and said, Can I tell you a secret? And he said, Yeah. I said, I'm scared. He said, I know. And then I said, Can I tell you another secret? And he said, Yeah. I said, I want to go home. I know that too. He squeezed my hand tightly and he told me he loved me. We'd lay there for a while and then we'd whisper back and forth and then we'd lay there for a while again and then we'd whisper back and forth. This went on for a long time that night. I remember at one point I whispered to Brad and I said, Hey, I think I need an Ativan. He let out a little giggle, and he said, I know. And then I said, no, I'm completely serious. I think I need an Ativan. And he said, I know. This was always an ongoing inside joke that Brad and I've had for years. Whenever one of us would get really upset or worked up about something, the other one would say, relax, go take an Ativan, calm down. The reality was, Neither one of us have ever had an Ativan in our entire lives. But it was our way of using humor to make sure the other person was in check. And it was kind of scary to think that humor wasn't going to be able to get us out of this situation. Brad said, come, let's go for a walk. Maybe we can run into your nurse and see if he has any suggestions that would help you. So we did. We went for a walk and we ran into my nurse. I explained to him that I was feeling very anxious and that I was having a really hard time slowing my mind down. He had a look at my order, but the only thing prescribed for me at that time was Tylenol and Gravol, 
and unfortunately, neither of those were going to help in this situation. So Brad and I went back to my room, and we tried to get some sleep. We got up several times that night and went for walks, with no particular destination in mind. I have no idea how many loops of the ward we did that night, but what I do know is that I felt like that night would never end. Five days into my hospital stay, my husband Brad and I were celebrating our ninth wedding anniversary. My mother-in-law and father-in-law were coming in from out of town to join us for a takeout meal at the hospital cafeteria. If anybody would have asked us even two weeks prior what our plans were to celebrate our ninth wedding anniversary, I really don't think any one of us would have thrown out the option of hanging out at the hospital cafeteria. But that is where we sat. I remember this meal being very special and stressful at the same time. It was going to be the very first time that I had to eat in public without sight. I felt extremely self-conscious and very awkward. I remember sitting there feeling completely distracted by my own lack of confidence. It was only a few short days earlier that I was an active, independent nurse wife and mother. And suddenly I was sitting here completely terrified to even eat a simple meal in public. The only thing that really kept me there and stopped me from running away halfway through the meal was the fact that I was surrounded by people who truly did love me. They really cared. Well, if I'm being honest, it was that and the fact that at that point in time, I hadn't figured out the logistics of how to run without sight. And so running away really wasn't even an option for me. The nurse's shift was now rotating, and the nurses who had cared for me over the past few days were now heading for a well-deserved few days off. Being a nurse myself, I knew that this change was coming. As the new group of nurses entered my room, I remember trying to fill them in on everything that had taken place over the past few days and how they could best help out with my care. I remember being pleasantly surprised that a few of the nurses that I went to nursing school with were working on this exact ward. But despite hearing some familiar colleague voices, if I'm being totally truthful, I was a pretty big mess. My eye was still really unstable, and I had no idea how to function as a blind individual. I remember this one nurse had stopped by my room at one point, and she was asking me some questions, and we were having a conversation when spontaneously, tears start to flow down my cheek. It was more so her reaction that caught me off guard. She said, Are you seriously kidding me? You're crying again? Every single time I walk by your room, you're crying. She continued on, and she said, What is your plan? What is your plan when you're going to leave this hospital? How are you ever going to look after your son? You do know that nobody will ever trust you alone with him again? What are you going to do? The truth is, I had absolutely no idea what the answers were to any of her questions. But as beat down as I felt at that time, I was not going to let her threaten me as a parent. At some point during this conversation, Brad and Bennett had entered the room. And I knew that because I could hear them. So I said, Brad, can you please take Bennett out of the room so I can finish this conversation? He said, Absolutely not. As far as I'm concerned, this conversation is over. And it was at that moment that she turned around and left.
As the days continued to pass by, I remember repeatedly thinking, Oh my goodness, what if this absolutely horrible individual is right? What if I can't do anything proper ever again? And what if I can't look after my son? What if I'm absolutely terrible at doing everything that really truly matters to me? Like being a wife and a mom, being an auntie, being a nurse. At that point, I really couldn't even look after myself. And the thought of caring and looking after somebody else was completely overwhelming. What if she was right? But after a considerable amount of time and consideration, I decided that giving up for me was not an option. Sitting here with me today is my husband, Brad. Brad and I have been together for 19 years, and we've been married for 16 of them. We've actually known each other since we were six years old. When we decided to get married, we chose to write our own vows to each other. One of the lines in Brad's vows to me was, No matter what life throws at us, I would promise to always be by your side. This has been a consistent statement throughout our entire relationship, and I am so grateful that our relationship is so strong. I thought it would be kind of fun to chat with Brad today a little bit about his memories and experiences over the past seven years. Okay, Brad, my first question is kind of a two-part question. First, what exactly was going through your mind on August 23rd, 2013 when this all happened? And secondly, why did you insist on staying with me that first night? Well, I don't remember exactly what was going through my mind at that time. I just know that there was lots of emotion and I was trying to stay as calm as possible. As far as staying at the hospital that first night, I did know that I wanted to be there for you. I also knew that I didn't want to go home and be by myself. I didn't want to sit there wondering how you were doing, what you were doing, and how you were feeling. Okay, so when we first got married, I could see out of one eye. So you obviously didn't sign up to being married to a blind wife. So I'm just wondering, what's it like being married to somebody who really can't see much at all? Our day-to-day family lives have definitely changed a lot. Um, As far as our marriage, I think that it's similar to what it was before. We've always gotten along. We've always been able to communicate together. Um, That really hasn't changed. I do hold your hand more often than I used to, but other than that, there hasn't really been that much that's changed in our marriage. You're totally right. You hold my hand now way more than you did before. I love holding your hand now when we're out in public compared to using my mobility cane because I feel like it allows me to just sort of blend into the world a little bit more. Plus, you and I know that I'm totally a hand holder and I've loved holding hands forever. So to me, this is sort of like a bonus perk. But my next question to you is, if you had an opportunity to provide a piece of advice to somebody else in the similar situation, what would that be? I think a piece of advice I'd give to somebody going through something similar would just be supportive, be helpful, um, maybe simplify some things in life. I know one of the first things we did was get an iPhone for you. Um, It helped with your confidence, helped with your independence. Um, There's lots of great technology on there that we could use, and it just helped us out a lot at the time. Okay, so this is my last question that I have for you. And I'm going to be honest, you might feel a little bit uncomfortable answering it. But personally, I really think it needs to be addressed. So, 
I know it's our little secret that you sometimes paint my nails for me and that you double check my makeup before I leave the house just so I don't look like a total clown. What is the likelihood that you could start plucking my eyebrows also? So on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being, yeah, not a chance, and 10 being, yes, I think that's a fantastic idea, let's go get started now. I know Bennett and I have both painted your nails. Um, I think I've even plucked your eyebrows before, but uh, at this point, I think we'll just leave it up to your friends and the professionals to take care of that. And that brings us to the end of this episode of The Blind Reality. I'd like to thank my husband, Brad, for coming and chatting with me today. And as always, I'd like to thank my family for the continued love and support. This episode was written and produced by me, Becky Zarr. Technical production was provided by AMI-audio's Sam Robinson, and technical support was provided by Matthew Maynard. The manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. Until next time, if you need a hand, get it. If you can give a hand, give it. Thanks for listening. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.